Hello and welcome everyone to our fourth Youth Voice Pioneers podcast. Today I'll be hosting and co-hosting is Naki. Hello. What we're going to do is we're going to start off with all of our Youth Voice Pioneers. What we want to know is who you are and a fun fact about you. So I'm Finley, I'm from Dorset and I've been doing various youth work over the last couple of years. And fun fact about me, uh, I like to program computers and games and stuff. You already heard from me. I guess, fun fact about me. Ah, oh, oh, I've driven a golf caddy before. It was last summer and it was the best thing. And I was so close to tipping it over, but then I didn't. But the instructor gave me a really mean look. So I got kind of scared at that point. Hi, I'm Connor. I'm the Deputy Chair of Wandsworth Youth Council and I'm also a Youth Voice Pioneer. Uh, Fun fact about me is that I've become a runner in, during lockdown, which is most unlike me. I was the most unathletic person. You couldn't even pay me to leave my house. But now you will catch me running. I am a fit person, although I am not eating salads just yet, but maybe next week. Hi, I'm Laren. I'm from Dorset and do lots of kind of youth work there. Uh, and a fun fact about me is I like singing and playing violin. Hi, I'm Maisie. I'm mental health lead of Bond's um, Youth Council. And a fun fact about me is I've skateboarded down the entirety of Box Hill. Hi, I'm Libby. I'm from Stroud in Gloucestershire. I've been involved in youth worky stuff for the last 10 years. And a fun fact about me is my portrait once hung in the National Portrait Gallery. Uh, hello, my name is Ollie. Uh, I'm the Deputy Member of Youth Parliament for Dorset. Uh, one fun fact about me is I am six foot five. Uh, I'm surprisingly tall. I'm like a, I hit my head on doorways kind of tall. <laughs> Brilliant. And now for our guest speakers on the podcast. Should we start with uh, Claire Thomas? Hi, I'm Claire. Um, I'm Chief Exec of um, Age UK in South Worcestershire and a fun fact about me, let me think, oh yes, when I wasn't actually probably much older than you guys and started work, I got locked in a toilet in a basement in the office at the weekend and had to be rescued by the fire brigade. Great, Claire Henry? Hello, I'm Claire. Hello, I'm Claire. I am a freelancer nurse who works in palliative and end-of-life care. And the fun fact about me is that I was gunged for charity. Brilliant, thanks. And Kenzie? Hi, I'm Kenzie. Um, I'm currently in year 11 and I'm part of teens group at Dorothy House. Um, and a fun fact about me, when things get bad, I dye my hair random colours. <laughs> So at the minute it is red and blue. <laughs> Thanks everyone. We'll start off with the policy announcements since the last podcast from the government about COVID. So one of the first things is possibility that schools may or may not, we don't know yet, but might be coming back within the next couple of months, possibly before September. How are people feeling about that? I'm scared. I, I, I've got too much work. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love school, I love the environment, I miss my friends, but I have a lot of work. And to go back after being off for like five weeks is kind of a scary thought. I mean, it's not entirely relevant for me because obviously being in year 13, 
I, I don't have a, a school to go back to. <laughs> like I, when, when they open up the borders, and everything, I, I've got to look for employment. And um, I, I thought I had longer to prepare for it. But uh, it's very much the second this lockdown ends, I'm going to be thrown back into the deep end looking for a full-time job. I guess my concern about schools reopening um, is there seems to be a lot of confusion about whether, although children don't seem to contract the illness so seriously, whether actually they carry the illness and whether they could potentially be giving it to parents. And if you suddenly have got schools reopen with 100, 150 to 600, 650,000 children, and then you've got all the teachers, are we then potentially producing a second wave if we move too quickly on this? Claire Henry, you've been working on the front line recently. What about from your perspective? I mean, it, it's interesting because I think I'm seeing it from the parents' perspective and they're trying to work, trying to provide support to their children because they're not in school. And a lot of them have got probably children, probably um, similar to um, your sort of age, thinking about exams. Is it fair around the um, sort of how it's going to be decided um, and universities? So that's been quite a big worry. And I also know that um, sort of a lot of uh, my colleagues' children have been quite concerned about what their parents are doing in the hospital. Um, you know, that's sort of thinking about are they caring for people with COVID? Are they safe because of everything that's been in the news? So I think there's mixed feelings. They would like them to go back to school, but also where they're getting support. So from an adult perspective, it's quite confusing. Thank you. So now for the main topic of today's podcast, bereavement and loss. Um, it's something we kind of want to talk about as youth voice pioneers, because we think it's not something that's talked about in schools, in families, as much as it should be. And we've seen data over the last few years um, in both local and national surveys that we've done as um, young researchers and other groups, that it's actually a really prevalent issue. Uh, in one uh, research, this week our podcast is about bereavement and loss. And it's something we'd love to talk about because we think that it's not something that's talked about in schools or talked about in families, but we've done research over the last few years in locally in Dorset and done national surveys too, where young people have told us that it is something that really stresses them. In one uh, piece of research that the Dorset Young Researchers did in 2018 and 19, so this was before COVID or anything like that, 21%, that's a fifth of young people, told us that bereavement had been their biggest stress point in the last year. So we think it's something that we really need to discuss, especially in like the current situation, though we'd also like to talk about it more generally. So to start off, would anyone like to share their experiences of dealing with bereavement and how they were helped or not by adults? Yeah, so I've had a few sort of experiences with bereavement. So should I start with, I'll start with sort of historically and then I'll bring it up to date. Um, so, so I suppose my first real experience with bereavement where I really wasn't supported by adults and people in authority where I felt like I should have been more was I was about 12, 13 um, in secondary school and one of my best friends passed away suddenly from an asthma attack. And I found out at the end of the day, the next day, via a letter from the school that all 650 kids were sent 
and that was how I discovered that my best friend had died. There was no assembly, there was no support from tutor groups, there was no support from anyone. We got given a folded over, over letter, so as I left the school gate, I opened the letter and it just said that um, for the purpose of this, let's call her Flossie. Flossie had died the night before um, and that was it. And so I, I walked home in tears, um, was basically my experience um, there. Um, and obviously looking back on it now, I think it could have been handled in a completely different way. Um, I think, you know, it could have been done, I, there could have been a lot more support given there um, across the whole board. You know, I wasn't the only one that we, you know, I went to a small comprehensive school we were all close to each other like we there I wasn't the only one to have had that experience I think you know we all could have done with a lot more support um, and then coming up to date um, so 10 days before lockdown began my neighbour who was like my third grandmother um, passed away in hospital I was fortunate in it that I was able to be with her for her final day and was with her where she died uh, which was lovely and so I was able to hold her hand and be there with her for the final moments um, but unfortunately lockdown then happened and because of my own health issues I have to shield so I was not allowed to go to her funeral so I've not been able to say goodbye to her so I feel like I've not had that closure and what's brought it home more the last few weeks has been I'm in the extremely vulnerable category so I've had a letter from the government that says that I they strongly advise that I remain in my house and don't leave my house for the next 12 weeks which has now been extended to the end of June because I'm at risk of serious illness, which I know for me means that if I catch uh, COVID-19, I risk being taken to intensive care again and put into a coma and ventilated, put on artificial ventilation. I've been there before and I risk being there again. And every time it happens, there's a chance that I won't wake up from that ventilation. And I've had the conversation with my parents where we know that if I get taken away in an ambulance from the front door, that we will be saying goodbye at the front door. And these are conversations that are going on up and down the country with young people across the country. And there's so much talk on the news and one thing or another about old people. And it's, it's just doesn't... People are so good at the practical support. Like, we've got Tesco's that deliver to us weekly. The council have rung us and said, oh, can we do anything more to help you? Can we get the pharmacy to deliver to you? But the, the emotional side of this just isn't there. You know, I've had to face my own kind of mortality almost in the last few weeks. And then not being able to have the closure of death as well by not being able to attend someone's funeral. It may not seem a lot to some people, but to me not being able to go and say goodbye to my neighbour who I've known since I was eight months old has been really hard. So I suppose those are my real experiences with bereavement and loss that I wanted to share today. So thank you, Finley. Thanks, Lily. Yeah, and 
Lippy, I just wanted to ask if this is okay with you, but I just wanted to find out from you, for you personally, what more were you expecting? What kind of support do you feel would have helped impact try and deal with bereavement a little bit better? I suppose if we talk about like going back to when my friend died when I was at school, if they sat us down and told us rather than giving us a letter, I mean, a piece of paper is just so, to me, it's so cruel. It's brutal. It's like, it's black and white. There's no support. It's just, here's a letter, it's final. There's no, there's no love. And I know I'm a bit touchy-feely and a bit, but I just want a bit of love. And I think it's just, I think like Levin's just said in our chat, it's the lack of support. It's that if they sat us down in our tutor groups and said, you know, we need to tell you that Flossie has passed away and this is the support we can offer you as a school, then I think that would have been much more appreciated. And I think, I don't know what more support over the last few weeks I could be offered as an extremely vulnerable person, but I think it's just something we've all got to deal with and we're all learning together as a country. One other thing I had in terms of personal experience with lack of support, I was really lucky in the respect that I had quite a lot of support from my primary school. But one thing that happened for me was when I was about um, eight, I was told that my neighbour had died as well, unfortunately. And I was obviously, I was very close to Tim at the time. And I was told on the way to go to a brownies meeting where we were having like a sale. Um, and when I got, my house is about a five minute drive away from the brownies and I was told on the drive and once I got there, the brownie leaders were informed. And then later on, when I was very upset about this, uh, for granted I'd only just been told, the brown, I heard one of the brownie leaders saying to another one that I was just being silly because I just didn't get what I wanted at the sale. And I felt that lack of recognition of the pain that people are going through made me feel like I didn't deserve to grieve, which I felt was really not a good vibe to be giving to such a young person that they don't they shouldn't be emotional they shouldn't let these emotions out they should be uh just joining in and having fun so i thought that would be um that was kind of really poor and it's one of the reasons i stopped attending brownies especially from a organization that deals with such young people i think it's really it's it's, it's really um important to share your stories i mean all of the stories you've heard i've heard so far but there i think it's knowing where to get that support from mine i think you're right, Libby, there's lots of practical support and not actually emotional support. Um, and I know from different organisations I've had the privilege to work with, um, there's some brilliant um, organisations that can help. I don't know if you've seen the Children's Bereavement Network UK, they've got some most amazing support and help um, for different groups because I think one size does not fit all and there's lots of different help and support out there. Um, Kenzie are probably good to talk about what the hospices provide. There's some great hospices that provide the most amazing groups. One I know a lot about is the one at St Giles in Staffordshire. They've got a Phoenix project and they do amazing work from one-to-one -to, -one to family support to activities where you can actually um, get involved. I know that's not good at while we've got COVID at the moment, but they're still doing a lot of, a lot of support online. And there's also um, a great organisation called Let's Talk About Loss. And that's aimed at people between 18 and, and 35, that it's all around the country. It's all being done online, lots of blogs. So there's a lot of things there. And they actually do talk on the emotional side and it's peer to peer, not necessarily like older people like me that come and talk to. You've got some younger people that you can have a bit of peer 
peer-to-peer -peer support. So that, that's something that is out there that can be used now, you know, during COVID, but also after as well. Thank you for that, uh, Claire. Uh, Kenzie, I believe you wanted to share your story, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So my story goes back quite a long way. Um, when I was in year two, my year two teacher was diagnosed with having terminal cancer. Um, it was a brain tumour. Um, she had, I think, a couple of operations and they told her it had gone. And then when I was in year three, it came back. Um, and then when I got into year four, she sadly passed away. And we found out by getting a letter sent to us that was addressed to our parents. Um, so my mum, I hadn't opened the letter. I gave it to my mum when I got home. And she then had to explain to me that one of the teachers I was really close to had passed away. Um, I didn't take it very well because I was really close to this teacher and I didn't get a lot of support from my primary school about it because our whole class was the same so it was just get on with it. Um, and then my next kind of experience with kind of bereavement was um, in year seven I lost my granddad to Alzheimer's. Um, I wasn't offered any support from anywhere else apart from school. Um, I was sent to the school counsellor she wasn't the best um i went there obviously because my granddad had died and i wasn't coping very well with it um and all she wanted to talk about was the fact i hadn't seen one of my brothers in about seven years she wanted me to sit down and do family trees and stuff like that and it didn't help me because it wasn't dealing with the issue at hand um and she would sit there reading a book whilst i was talking to her um picking at a skirt constantly talking about herself and all her situations rather than trying to listen to me and then I did five sessions with her and I'd cried for two of them and I turned up to one and she was like oh you stopped crying you can go now and she gave me this review sheet and it was like what coping methods have you been taught and things like that and she hadn't helped at all I felt the exact same way before I'd gone to when I actually got told to leave so I kind of found other ways of dealing with it myself. And then about a year on, my dad then got diagnosed with terminal esophageal cancer. Um, and it kind of sent my world down in a downward spiral. Dorothy House was involved quite quickly. They didn't offer support to start off with because I felt I didn't need it, but it was always on offer for me. Um, school gave me a different counsellor. Um, she had recently been trained up as a young person bereavement counsellor and I had her from about a month after the diagnosis and she kind of worked with me all the way up until he passed away in July in 2018 and then she worked with me for about six months afterwards and she did help Quite often I'd go to her if I ever needed anything whilst in school, which was really helpful. Um, but then she kind of said, well, I think you're ready to go. And she stopped helping me. And at the point she kind of took the step back, I was then left on my own to kind of keep going, which was okay. I was dealing with it. I felt okay. But then in the January, my mum's stepdad died of uh, a sudden heart attack and he lived in Scotland so it was go up there and do the funeral and everything all kind of all suddenly and then 
in the March, my mum's stepmom passed away because of cancer. And the school didn't really want to help me with either of them because they didn't feel it was close enough to me for me to actually be affected by it. Um, so they just kind of said, well, if you need help, we're here, but we don't think you need it because you'll be fine. Um, you've just got to work through it. And that's at the point Dorothy House stepped in again. And they've just recently given me a new counsellor. And I found that really helpful. She's been really, really helpful for me. Um, and I found it really good to keep going and keep, keep my head up. Um, Dorothy House have also given me the opportunity to join a teens group. And there's about eight or nine of us that have all lost a parent to cancer over the years. Um, and we meet up on a Saturday morning once a month and we talk about it sometimes, sometimes we don't. We meet up, we eat pizza, we laugh, we joke, we have a bit of fun, we play table tennis. It's really helpful to kind of know that you're not alone in it and that there's other people going through the same and having the same kind of horrible experiences as you are. So it's great that I've still got support, but at the same time, some of the support I've had has not been kind of up to standards especially in school. Claire Thomas would you like to talk about what your organisation offers? I can talk about certainly what um, the charity I used to run um, offers and certainly offered but I think also um, just to say I think it's really important that young people particularly um, don't kind of bury their feelings and bury their grief. I think it's very easy to do that. And I suppose, I, I think especially as you get older, I think you, you probably start behaving a bit more, um, thinking you should behave a lot more like adults. So don't talk about your grief. You just get on. You don't want to bother anybody. Um, so I think it's just really important that um, young people just express and don't feel afraid of expressing what they're feeling. Um, ask for that help, which is really, really difficult, um, especially as if you said that, you know, there's not a huge amount around. Um, but don't feel ashamed of doing so. Don't bury it. Don't start turning to kind of unhealthy ways of dealing with it. That might be alcohol it might be you know everybody under stress you know is tempted to to deal with it in unhealthy ways be kind to yourself and recognize that you know this is real this is true and you're allowed to feel that the way you're feeling especially at the moment where it's going to be even worse and as we've just said there, there isn't there isn't a huge amount of support around still for anybody bereaved never mind young people some schools are good some aren't um but as claire said there are you know there are organizations out there there are organizations um that help with um bereavement and and um and people who have got parents or anybody who's um, got a, a real life limiting illness to so say hope support who I used to work with is one of those but there are others and Claire's mentioned them and also there's also um, you know lots of mental health organizations out there especially on the internet now um, people like Young Minds so yeah I just say I think it's really important to recognize what you're feeling don't bury it don't feel afraid of it it's valid um, and find the support and ask for that support which um, as some of you said it's you know some's good and, and, and some's not. So what sort of things did um, so you worked with Hope is that correct? Yeah. What sort of yeah. things did you offer young people and do with them to help? 
Um, certainly when I was there, it was a mixture of um, face-to-face -face, um, support, as Kenzie was saying, um, lots of groups, lots of group help so people could get together and actually just spend a lot of time um, getting away from what was going on at home um, and just enjoying time together, knowing they were with people who understood, not necessarily have to talk about it all the time, but you know, they understood if people were feeling particularly sad or that day or, or, or were struggling. So yeah, a lot of group work. And as, as I said, as Kenzie says, you know, a lot of that work goes on in hospices around the country as well and other organizations, but also online support as well. And I think Hope, since I left, has really developed their online help, which, you know, is, is great, especially for young people who, you know, you're very comfortable online, um, but also it can reach people um, all over the country. So yeah, a mixture of group work and, um, and just taking time out um, and also online. Could I just, just ask you a quick question before we move on to Oli and his story? I just wanted to ask because uh, Libby mentioned an experience about how she wasn't able to attend a funeral and it really upset her. It was devastating for any, it's devastating for anyone not to be able to see any relatives for their funeral. So I just wanted to ask, what would you advise as an option for those people who are unable to say goodbye or able to attend funerals because of the situation here? Well, what options would you say are open to those people? I mean, I think, you know, there are, there are some um, funeral directors who in this crisis are putting funerals online, for example. I think some of them are enlightened, obviously, you know, the situation with COVID is happening very fast and things are developing quite quickly, but hopefully that will happen more and more. But if that's not possible, I think there's there's things that people need to do, like celebrating the life of, of the person who's died, you know, on forums like this, you know, families getting together and doing it on Zoom and having, having those goodbyes together in a virtual sense. There's also things we can do like memory boxes. Um, again, it's difficult. You can't probably go to that person's house anymore but I think to actually yeah producing that memory boxes where you take the memory of that people of that person and you, you know you can physically put it in a box with all the things that um that you remember about them you can write stories and songs etc etc so I think it's really important although physically you can't to still be able to to grieve for that person and express express your grief as well so whether it's online or yeah doing it in some other way and celebrating a life um virtually even if we can't do it physically which hopefully um so the the virtual funerals will you know will happen more and more um over the next few months Thank you very much, Claire, for sharing that advice. I'm sure many people will appreciate the help that they can receive from that. Uh, now to move on to Ollie and his experience. So uh, my story is a little bit different um, to everyone else's because um, although it didn't result in an actual death, it was a very near-death experience. Um, so uh, back in February of 2020, so earlier this year, um, I was in a really bad car crash. Um, I was the only one driving. Um, and I remember the crash and the kind of after effects of it. And it was during February half term because I was still at school at the time. And one thing that that kind of that came up from it was that when I went back into school, it almost felt like teachers were putting so much pressure on me to have gotten work over the half term done when I physically couldn't move. 
I, I, I was in so much pain. I was knackering myself just by moving my arms. And bear in mind, I was also having psychological issues from the crash. Like I was, I basically, I, when I crashed, I lost control and I rolled into a field. Uh, I rolled three times in my metal car. And the, the problem that I kind of found from that was there would be times where I'd be in school or I'd be with uh, my partner or I'd be out with my mates and I would have to lie down because I felt like I was spinning. I felt like I was going to throw up. And I feel that school didn't get it. They, that I don't, I don't know what it was. It felt like they didn't understand the nature of the crash and the effect it had on me psychologically. And I feel like that was a major failure on the behalf of my school for not understanding that I was suffering with tremendous anxiety following the crash. And it was more so like, okay, yeah, you've had this crash. We're here for you. We're here if you want to talk. Oh, where is this piece of work? Oh, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? And I feel like my school in particular didn't, they, they didn't get that. They didn't understand that, the, the, that I was really suffering with the psychological impact of it. Um, and I obviously I, I, I hid it a fair bit from my mates because I didn't want anyone to worry about me. But I, I thought that at least with the school, it was like a, a safe space to be able to speak to them and get support following my, my near-death experience. And I feel like there's so much emphasis put on when actual death happens. But when, it, when you're, you come close to death like that, there's the, it, it seems like, oh, you're fine. You're, you're fine. You're alive. You're, you're not suffering. You're fine. Go do your work. Go get on with it. And I'd say the school I was in, it was, a, it, was a, it was something that they let me down on. And I wasn't used to them letting me down. Um, but it, it, it was a difficult adjustment to make. How do you think, Ollie, the best way for the school to realise what you were going through at the time was? How would you prefer they'd have found out? How many teachers would you have preferred knowing? I mean, I, I had to tell my teachers myself, despite the fact I had told my head of year during half term what had happened. And uh, I went to school on, I think it was either the Monday or the Tuesday after and um, I, I was explained, I, I went, I had to go and find my teachers. And I was like, look, I haven't done this work. I'm so sorry. And at that point in time, I didn't want to explain why I hadn't done the work because just saying it was bringing back some like quite harsh memories. But I told my head of year, like I would have, <laughs> I would have almost more appreciated uh, not having to tell my story to everyone. My history teachers, they were brilliant because they, they told each other and they spoke about best, best how to, support me and they knew not to talk to me about it it's just the way I was um and I, I I feel like not enough schools across the nation are putting this emphasis on issues such as bereavement but also supporting students as well with it so like for me I, I have a history of mental health issues anyway and I didn't get that support that I felt that I needed despite the kind of despite the me trying to communicate it just felt like it wasn't really received in the piece of research we did in dorset a couple of years ago around mental health which covered bereavement and loss as well as finding that 20 percent of young people has put it as their one of the most important things in the last year which if you think about it does make sense with everyone having multiple parents possibly still around the chance of 
one of them or neighbor or it could be a friend being lost within the last year is actually not that low we've had some adults tell us that it's probably single percentage points and it's simply not one of the recommendations that came out of that report was for young people to only have to tell their story especially around bereavement to people at schools teachers once and then that teacher ideally being someone who can represent them if they do need more time to do homework I also think for schools as well, it's hard because especially if like counsellors and regular teachers aren't really trained in like grief and loss, it's hard because every young person's experience is individual. So it's hard to, like if you're not trained or experienced, it's hard to identify on how best to help that young person. So I think it's especially hard for schools because now that we're in a place where schools are kind of detached from students although there is contact but it's still very limited on what they can offer students and especially now with like bereavement and loss it it becomes even harder to help and support young people during this time i think can i just come in on that that point um just thinking that there are some and as claire said there's some good and bad schools but i know that hospices are now starting to work much more closely with schools and there's some really good examples of where teachers are starting to get some more training and i think that makes a difference and i think one of those things is that you're thinking how can that be across the country because Polly, it must have been terrible for you having that experience and thinking you wanted that you wanted that support, um, you know, there and then, not three or four months later, which you know is is no good. And thank goodness you've got some great parents to support you. Um, but I think so. Picking up some of the other points was about the remembrance. I think especially important at the moment with COVID and not being able to go to funerals and thinking of different ways that you can remember. And some things building on what Clara said is people having like meetings like Zooms and actually remembering and talking about and sharing those stories about people. And also other things, and I'm just involved in something at the moment, which is called looking at sort of saying a stitch in time. So actually starting to embroider people's names. And so we can bring that all together when we're actually um, sort of released from lockdown um, or people can say, you know, sort of think about, as Claire said, poems and others. So that remembrance, and one of the key things that everybody says to me, young people all the way up to old people is, what they just really want is people to say that person's name who's died. Don't just wipe them out of your life. They are really an important part. So actually saying their name, talking about them is absolutely critical um, because they're still with you in your feelings and your thoughts. So that's the one thing that I always say to people, talk about it, say it, say their name. Um, and it's all right to have, you know, share those happy stories and also have that, that sad time. So um, one thing I did want to mention at some point, you, you mentioned about saying their name. So um, down in Dorset, there was a um, small, a child, uh, he was 14 um, and his name was William Paddy. And unfortunately, when he was 14, he passed away. And it was a hor horrible event. And I know people who were very close to him who were scarred. They, they were devastated. But the, the key thing that came out of this was that his mum decided to honour him. It wasn't that she was going to, obviously she, gr she grieved him, she probably still is, but it wasn't that she was going to let that get the better of her. And she set up a charity called Hashtag Will Does, uh, which is honor it honours him and it's 
it's something that I believe so strongly in, and I think is easily one of the best examples, probably in the, in the country, if not further, of using someone's name to honour them. Will Does is a charity that basically they, what they do is they do sporting activities, so horse riding, uh, uh, skiing, uh, everything, you name it, a, a lot. And it's all about promoting young people's emotional well-being, promoting their mental health. It's such a good example of a young person who has passed away and his parents have turned around and said, this is devastating, but we need to help other people say never feel that way. And I'm, I, it's something that I'm very passionate about, something that I believe fully in and um, easily one of the best ways to use someone's name in a positive way. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's just, it's turning something that's very sad into something very positive to help others. I think, and I just think that's, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Can I just come in there as well? Um, I think generally as, you know, as human beings and certainly in this country, um, we're really, really bad about talking about death and about talking about bereavement. Um, Everybody's, you know, very scared about it. Um, and I think that's especially hard, you know, for young people. But I think that it's something that you can kind of take the lead at to actually say to people, you know, we need to talk about this. It's got to be talked about. We've got to celebrate people. And as Claire says, we've got to use people's name. We've got to remember them. Um, so I think there's an there's an awful lot that that you can do with your voices to actually get the conversation going that this is something that as a whole country we need to talk about um, and it's going to be especially true in the next few months and perhaps it's a time now to really talk to decision makers and say look you know this is because of what's going on out there because of what's happening in the virus we need to talk about it we all need to talk about it um, and as young, you know, and, and especially as young people, you need to and use your voice to do, do that. You know, I just, I mean, I had a story. It's about a couple of friends who I'm really good friends with right now. And I remember coming to school for tutor time in the morning and our tutor had announced that one of, someone in the class had lost their granddad. And everyone was just looking at each other. The room fell silent. And then he, we saw here, we saw the student, well, I saw my friend come up to the library about an hour later, and he didn't attend any lessons for that day. But when everyone saw him, everyone, some people started to like bombard him with like questions and like, oh, how are you doing? Uh, how come you didn't go lessons? Are you, are you doing okay? So it, it's just sort of like, I get how schools are taking more, rec- my school took more recognition in terms of how someone lost their grandparents. But I think they sort of need to consider young people's opinions first on like whether they should make announcements in assembly or in tutor time and stuff like that. And then they can proceed to like offer more effective school counselling. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Naki. Now let's move on to calls for action. Firstly, for decision makers, which I think Naki's going to read for us. Oh yeah, calls for action. All right, so for the decision makers, uh, number one is... Teach us about, teach us what death, bereavement and loss is and how it can affect young people in different ways. Talk to us more openly, vulnerably and honestly and to try and stop telling us these things through a letter because we've already seen how cruel and sensitive that can be. 
The next one is talk about death as you would any other topic. Uh, it just encourage more people, your more young people, to be brave and have courage to talk about bereavement, talk about their loss, and try and make them come to terms with what they've lost. Uh, number four is promoting bereavement services better uh, and listen to our third podcast, which will give you some hints. A little bit of a cheeky plug there. Third podcast about social media. Check it out. Uh, number five is to listen to young people. We don't always want answers. We just want to know that you are there for us. That's all. Sometimes that's all we need, just a little bit of support. And our last one for decision makers is help young people tell their story just once. And maybe allocate a school champion for people can talk to to be that sort of bridge between young people and teachers and adults. We've got some call to action for young people. Um, so our first call to action for young people is be kind to yourself. Try to be brave and express to someone what you're going through. Your, the second one is your head is a scary place to go alone. Don't gather, go there alone. There are people to talk to. And the third one is is that don't be afraid to say how you want to be helped. And if something isn't working for you, you should try and speak up. So another call to action is, is that it's okay to not be okay. And just get the encouragement, get the support to find your local bereavement service and ask for help. Um, and finally, make a memory box to help say goodbye to the person that you love. Right, does anyone else have anything they'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, one thing that would have made it easier for me was if after I'd kind of confided in teachers, if they hadn't then kind of gone behind me and told like all my class about what I was going through, especially when I was going through a period of time when my dad was really ill. So I'd have to leave classes often to go home and I was missing a lot. And then next thing you know, I'd have people messaging me that I didn't necessarily know going, oh, I know what your situation is about because I wasn't ready for them to be told and the teachers were kind of taking that decision away from me. Thank you so much to our guests for coming on, Kenzie and both Claire's. Thank you very much. We appreciate your support and feedback. And as we mentioned before, and I'll say it again, plug our podcast. Yeah, we're trying to get more heads, trying to spread the word. We're growing, we're trying to conquer the world here. So thank you very much for that. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. And another big thank you to the You Voice Pioneers for joining us for the fourth podcast.